Hi, welcome to Trekkers Life, and today I'm sitting down with backpacker Ryan Newburn, aka the Straw Hat Backpacker. How you doing, Brandon? I'm great, and yourself? Good, yeah, I'm feeling good about this. We uh, just met about 10 minutes ago, and uh, <laughs> we're about to do a podcast together. It's a little awkward at first, I know, but... No, I love it. I love okay. it, dude. So, Straw Hat. Straw Hat. Where did that name come from? Uh, okay, that's uh, that's a good question. Have you ever heard of a Japanese anime called One Piece? I have heard of it. I have not seen it. Okay. So to make it, to speak proper American English, so for all of you to understand, it is a cartoon, a Japanese cartoon, and it is about this guy named Straw Hat Luffy who wears a straw hat, just like I do, and I took inspiration from it because he's a man who travels the world in pursuit of a grand dream, traveling as a pirate to discover this lost treasure called the One Piece, which is why it's called One Piece. And he meets new people along the way, discovering new places, making new friends, and going on this grand adventure that is his life. I took inspiration from that before starting my own journey and decided to uh, take on the straw hat mantle and uh, yeah, become the straw hat backpacker. So you always travel with the giant straw hat? I do, yeah. And it's funny because the straw hat can vary too. Like uh, yeah. if I'm my first trip, I traveled with like a Cabela's $20 straw hat <laughs> that I picked up and that was across Japan. And then when I traveled across New Zealand, I picked up a nicer like Stetson hat. Now with my future expeditions, I'm going into much colder places, which I'll get to in a bit, but uh, there's no straw hat for colder places. So for a line straw hat, uh, <laughs> I looked into that. Couldn't really find many. Couldn't justify it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to invent like a, a straw hat that keeps you warm in negative 20 degree weather. <laughs> so you've already mentioned a lot of places you visited. Um, what kind of traveler would you say that you are? I would say that I am more of an adventure slash expedition traveler. Okay. So you're not a big city kind of guy. No, I, I do enjoy the big cities as I'm traveling, but I'm not one to really dwell in cities for too long. I tend to put myself more in backcountry survival scenarios versus big city living. Not oh, my perfect. Thing. Yeah. So Japan, is there a lot of backcountry there? There is, but not to the extent that I expected when I first got out there. Yeah. So Japan... Japan was kind of like my my starting point for this whole journey that I've been on. When I I had the notion before going on this adventure that Japan would be full of like jungles and mountains to cross and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, you know I I had my fair share of uh, monkeys climbing in trees and trying to make sure they didn't steal anything out of my backpack. <laughs> but I also had my fair share of 7-Elevens and uh, staying in hotels and cities and whatnot because their Japan is highly populated and not as um, not as barren as I thought it'd be. Not as barren as you were hoping. Yeah, yeah. So did you come back to the States before traveling elsewhere or were you going on a grand adventure of travel? A grand adventure, actually. Okay. Uh, I suppose I should start at the... the start at the beginning. The yeah. beginning, yeah. 2014. Actually, 
I would almost say 2013. I left in 2014, but this whole vision of me traveling started way before then. And I'd always wanted to travel, but I suppose it started with this game called Yu-Gi-Oh. Have you ever heard of Yu-Gi-Oh? Yes, I have. Yeah. You have heard of Yu-Gi-Oh. The card game. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Well, it all really started back when I played Yu-Gi-Oh and I started playing in about middle school and I liked it as a hobby to start out, you know, like all of us did. We playing cards in school and trading and whatnot. That was kind of the fad back in the early 2000s that we all kind of underwent. And most people moved on with other things. I didn't. He stuck with it. I stuck with it. As the years went by, I started uh, getting more and more competitive in this game. And I wanted to start competing by traveling to events. So that's what I did. I, me along with another group of people in Omaha formed kind of this team and we started competing in events in places like Des Moines and Kansas City and eventually to more further places such as like Texas, Florida, California. Uh, And yeah, we were, after about a year of doing this, we were traveling month to month just to all sorts of different uh, locations around the U.S. Just in tournaments and all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, for tournaments. So originally, you know, I started, I didn't really, at first I didn't really care about the places we were going to. Yeah. Just wanted to focus on winning these big tournaments and becoming a Yu-Gi-Oh! superstar. <laughs> but as I continued on traveling to some of these places, um, I started appreciating them more and more. Eventually, I started getting better and better at Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. As the years went by, because it's really all I cared about for most of my middle school and high school life. I didn't really get good grades. I was kind of that, uh, I was always that lazy kid that the teacher would um, call to in the back of the class that'd be sleeping under his own drool. (laughs) You know, that would be me. I didn't really have any focus for like high school, uh, my studies, or even like uh, any social circles aside from my Yu-Gi-Oh team. I didn't really care about anything else. I also need to mention that I was extremely overweight at the time. I was 315 pounds at my highest throughout high school, and that was pretty consistent. So didn't care about my health, didn't care about anything except this game. Yeah. So the years went by through high school, and... I got better because that's all I cared about. <laughs> and eventually, my I started going to the national championships. So with Yu-Gi-Oh, you have the regional, you know, in your area tournaments. And if you do well in those, you move on to nationals, which is once a year. Yeah, I went to nationals in 07 and 08. Didn't really do well, you know. <laughs> uh, it was it was like meh. Uh, is there money involved in these kind of things, or is there? There's yeah. Um, there's cards and money and all yeah. all sorts of different things. And if you do well at the higher up tournaments, you're going to make more. So. Yeah. Um, that was kind of my vision to be the best. That was my dream at the time to, to get to the top of the ladder. Uh, and with nationals, it's like the top four in the national tournaments, then go on to the world championships. And those are held once a year where you have four U.S. representatives, four Japan representatives and representatives all throughout the world playing in this national or this world tournament to become the best player. So I didn't do good in 07. I didn't do good in 08, but 09 my big break was your year it was my year (laughs) uh i'll set the scene for you it was in uh pittsburgh pennsylvania we were having the national tournament and it was 
I arrived there and there was just so many people that year. It was actually the biggest card game tournament at the time ever. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Magic, but it, it even yeah, beat I out used all. to play Magic. You actually. played Magic, yeah. okay? So that year, it beat out any Magic tournament or Yu-Gi-Oh tournament ever in history. There was uh, one thousand two hundred people at that event that oh, year. Oh wow! Yeah, it was big. Right at the height of prime time. Yep, yep, absolutely. And by that time, I'd been playing for maybe like five years or so. So I was, I was really into it. I really wanted it, and. Yeah, that year, um, 12 rounds the first day, followed by another couple the second day, and then cut to a top 64. And I'm sure you know something about Magic, how you know the best records move on to the top 64, and then yeah. from there it's single elimination. So I took it a round at a time, and before I knew it, um, I ended up going 13 and 1, 13 wins, 1 loss. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. and moved on to the top 64. And then it's like, at that point, it's just like, oh my God, it's single elimination. You lose one, you're out. Yeah. So I was like, all right, just keep playing one at a time. So top 64 match, I won. Then on to the top 32 match, and then I won it. And then on to the top 16 match. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why am I winning still? And then I won the top 16 match. Running through all of them. And then the top eight match, I was one match away from going on to the world championships. Oh. And I beat him. Nice. <laughs> and I made the top four. I ended up getting third place at the national championships that year. So where's the world championship? And that's what, what kind of brings it on to the next thing. Uh, it was held in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, wow. So 09 world championships. I went to Tokyo, Japan. All that was paid for. And that is what initially got me into the spark of, of Japan, you know? Yeah. Um, so I went there. I met up with all the other competitors, the competitors from Japan, Germany, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, all oh, these different crazy. places. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I ended up getting 13th place yeah. at that event. I, I lost uh, one of the, the guy who would eventually become the world champion that year from Singapore. Oh, so you can't feel that bad. I don't feel that bad. <laughs> um, you know, there's always going to be that competitive side of me that thinks like, yeah. what if I would have been the world champion, you know? Yeah. But I'm still proud of myself for reaching it that oh, far. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it, helped, it ended up opening up a, a new door inside my mind. Before, I was very much the guy that, you know, like I said, that would sleep in the back of the classroom, wouldn't have a lot of motivation to do things aside from play that game. Yeah. But then I realized once I got to that level, I could do anything, you know, like if I can, if I can really dedicate myself and beat out more than a thousand other players in my country and represent it on a world stage, yeah. what's stopping me from losing weight? What's stopping me from traveling? What's stopping me from doing anything that I want to do? Right. Yeah. So yeah, like my paradigm shift, I had a, a huge paradigm shift in just like how I thought about the world and myself in the world. Yeah. It was just you stopping you. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So like I said, it opened up kind of a bunch of doors. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time really re traveling Japan while I was at the world championships. So I knew I wanted to go back there eventually. Yeah. <clears throat> so fast forward a little bit, I ended up losing more than 120 pounds of oh, congrats, weight. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it was all because of that, you know, that one thing. But then I wanted to continue on with that. I was like, well, my momentum is just like skyrocketing right now. I'm, I'm doing all these great things. What's stopping me from achieving my, my grand vision of, of traveling, you know? So I ended up enlisting in the Navy. And oh, nice. yeah. yeah, that was going to kind of be my way into traveling. 
and that was going great. I, I was losing weight during that time. And, um, I ended up enlisting once I did lose all that weight yeah. to get in. And I was going to go in as a nuke in the Navy, like a nuke operator on like an aircraft carrier or submarine. Yeah. And that was going to be my life. So yeah. now I should say that prior to this, before we go too ahead of ourselves, yeah. back in 08, I ended up breaking my leg playing football with a bud- some buddies of mine um, at the West Side Field here in Omaha. Yeah. Uh, just a fun game. Ended up breaking my leg and they had to put some screws and an ankle metal plate into into my ankle to heal it and the doctor said that that could be in my ankle the rest of my life you know as long as it didn't give me any problems okay yeah so with that in mind okay it's like all right so no big deal it's all healed up now after Yu-Gi-Oh, after the whole 09 world thing and i started losing all the weight to go into the navy I started doing a lot of running okay? oh so it started out small. It started out with maybe like me running to my mailbox yeah. and I was winded. But then the next day I took it to the next street light and then I was winded. And then the next day I took it to the next street light building up over the years as I continued to lose this weight. And while I was doing this, I was, um, I was so focused on the end goal that I really wasn't paying any attention to like my leg or anything. My leg seemed fine at the time. Yeah. So I transitioned from going to my mailbox to being able to run as far as 13 miles without stopping and losing all this weight doing that. I was, I thought I was in the best shape of my life to go into the Navy. Yeah. So about a week before I go in to boot camp, uh, we end up having this going away party for me and you know, it's like I'm about to start my new life to travel the world uh, on a ship or something like that. And it's going to be great. That night, when I was just doing one of my routine runs, my leg was starting to feel a bit funny. And I was like, huh, I wonder oh. what's going on. You know, it doesn't hurt or anything, but it feels funny. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I can't go to a doctor because I've been in the delayed entry program for like four months now. Yeah. And like the delayed entry program, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting to get into the military because it's just there's so many people trying to get in. So I knew if I went to a doctor, they would delay it even more and I didn't want them to delay it. So I decided to ignore it. It wasn't hurting me after all. So what, you know, what could it do? So ended up going into boot camp, and you know, it's the cliche things like get off the, you know, the bus, you maggots, <laughs> you know, yada yada. And it seems to all be going great to start. I end up getting my combat boots and my military gear and all that, and you know, we uh, we start be- training to become these soldiers. Yeah. So it seems all good for a while. After like the first week or so, we get into our combat boots and we have to start doing like exercises in the combat boots as well. Yeah. That's like jumping jacks, running, and all these different things. Now in the military, in boot camp, they make you tie those combat boots extremely tight, okay? And these combat boots go high up to like around your ankle area, covering your ankles for, for protection. And you have to tie them very tight. So it was creating a lot of pressure on my ankle, right? The same ankle that had been acting kind of funny. It's probably swelling too. And well, that funny feeling started turning into a painful feeling about a week and a half into boot camp. It's like, what the heck is going on with my ankle? Like, what am I, you know, do I just ignore this and keep going? I don't want to like tell the drill instructor, like, yell at me, you know? You don't want (laughs) to stick out in boot camp. That's the least like thing that you want to do. You want to just totally blend in so no one notices you and you just go through boot camp. So I decided to ignore it 
And as I ignored it, the pain got progressively worse. As pain does, yeah. It does, yeah. And I started noticing a bump over where my ankle surgery had been. And I noticed that after every night, the bump was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? And the pain was just becoming so excruciating that, all right, I can't do this anymore. I got to tell someone, you know, we got to get this fixed so I can go back to my drill, you know. So I go up to the drill instructor and I say, oh, petty officer, I think something's wrong with my ankle. Should I go to medical? He's like, you know, and drill instructors do as drill instructors do. He's like, oh, you pussy. We have people (laughs) in Afghanistan serving them with one leg, you know, and they're just yelling at me and stuff, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's their job to send you to medical. They got to, you know, if something's wrong, they got to send you. They're just going to give you hell doing it. So they ended up sending me to medical and get some x-rays done. About 10 minutes later, the doctor comes in, puts the x-rays up, and I can see my ankle, and I can see the the plate that had been inserted from 2008, and the two screws. The only problem is one of those screws had broken in half, and half of it was coming out of my ankle. That's what the bump was from. It was getting bigger and bigger because it was slowly migrating out of my my ankle. So he looks at it, and he looks back at me, and he's like, son, maybe you can't afford to pay for this. You're going home. Oh. So it's like, you know how I'd mentioned all that momentum that had yeah, been building up towards my dreams? Dead stop. It all plummeted. <laughs> Came crashing down. Yeah, almost instantly. That's horrifying. It was a low. It was a low. They um they ended up sending me home, and I ended up getting the surgery to have the hardware removed. And yeah, yeah I ended up trying to re-enlist after getting fully healed up, and... Uh, how I mentioned earlier, the Navy is very overstaffed. Yeah. They can really reject you for any reason at all. So even though I wasn't completely healed, I submitted for a medical waiver and they just denied it. And you're just yeah. like, no, we don't, we don't want to bring you in again. So Man, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it shot me back down a few notches. And, uh, like I said, I was kind of at a low point for a while, ended up getting in, you know, an unstable relationship and just like, I was definitely, yeah, it was, it was a bottom point for me, yeah. but kind of coming back full circle to how, where I am now, I started building momentum again. Uh, a good buddy of mine one day called me up, uh, who was a weightlifter and I, you know, I had not really done a lot of weightlifting through, you know, throughout my weight loss journey. I'd just done a lot of cardio. Yeah. He calls me up one day. He's like, Hey, come to the gym with us, you know, have, you know, a workout and few of my buddies from high school, you know, we're all in a group together working out. So I ended up joining them and I really liked it. Oh, good. So they kind of took me on towards like the weightlifting thing. And I started regaining some of that momentum that I had lost. I started finding like a new passion, you know, yeah. and I still knew at the time that I wanted to travel, but I knew that I had to do it in a different way. Now it couldn't be just like the Navy cause you know, that dream was over. So started getting into weightlifting and whatnot and started getting more and more confident. And then one day a buddy of mine named also named Ryan calls me up and I'm at the gym and he tells me just right away, let's go to Japan. (laughs) And this is an old Yu-Gi-Oh friend of mine, really smart guy, really into self-development and stuff as well. So we, we were kind of on the same, same wavelength. And I'm like, Japan, what do you mean? Let's go to Japan. He's like, what do you mean? It was like, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's go to Japan. I was like, what are we going to do in Japan? He's like, I don't know. 
Let's join the Peace Corps or something, you know? I was like, the Peace we'll, Corps. We'll find something when yeah, we get we'll there. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll rent some place and we'll just, yeah, we'll just be in Japan. Yeah. So, he, you know, he was the one who initially sparked this seed inside of my brain. I'm like, Japan, okay. So I get off the phone with him and I start thinking, well, okay, what am I going to do in Japan? And I'm just looking at this map of Japan. Yeah. And I start coming up with these ideas like, oh, well, maybe I could hike across japan you know it looks small enough you know japan it's an island it's small Tiny, yeah it, it won't probably take that long <laughs> <laughs> you know you look at it on a world map it's not bad you know no. so i start kind of getting this idea to maybe i'll just walk across japan or something like that and you know i'm still i'm talking to ryan about this on the phone and he's not necessarily agreeing with walking with you across Japan. And by that time, he'd kind of like more or less dropped the idea of traveling to Japan. You know, he gave me the idea, but he... He, he planted the seed and just walked he away. He planted the seed. Yeah, he planted the seed and walked away. And he's, you know, he's pursuing his own great endeavors and whatnot now too. But um, he gave me my own seed to start growing for my own endeavor. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of walked away from it, but um, I started focusing more and more on it and letting it grow. I decided that I was going to walk across Japan and uh, lengthwise or across. Oh, I'm talking lengthwise. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the southern Not tip. Not the easy of, way. No, yeah. no, no. I'm talking about Kyushu, which is the southern island, the southern tip of that, across into Honshu, the main island, and then all the way up to Hokkaido, the northern island of oh, the wow. northern tip. So, yeah. Um, the idea started getting planted in my head. It started growing, started a blog. Yeah. I decided to develop the name The Straw Hat Backpacker, like I said. <laughs> And started writing articles just on my adventure that I was going to take. Yeah. And then one day I started thinking, no, what was it? I learned about the working holiday visa. Do you know, uh, for New Zealand, have you ever heard of the working holiday visa? No, I have not. So this is something that interests you and probably a lot of the viewers. It's something that's extremely great that a lot of people, Americans don't really know about. Yeah. So places like um, Japan or not Japan, uh, Australia and New Zealand you can apply for working holiday visas. Now, yeah. normally, <clears throat> you can't just go to another country and work, okay? Like, you have to have a working visa to go in and work. You can't enter a country and just start working. That's illegal, you yeah. know? Um, but Japan, or uh, I don't know why I keep saying Japan. Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, however, have special circumstances to where you can apply for a working holiday visa, and New Zealand is free. Australia, I think it costs like $300, and it, it it's going to get approved unless you like you're a felon or something like that you know yeah. odds are it's going to get approved but once it gets approved you can go into that country and you can work in that country for up to a year um just look for work you can oh, awesome. work on a farm you can go and work at a bar you know wherever you can find work you can just enter the country and look for work so i found out about this through a google search initially and I started thinking like the the cogs in my brain started working their magic. Yeah. And I was like, well, why stop at Japan? If I'm going to walk across this country, why should I go back to America after that? You Just know? keep going. Like I could, I could go and work in New Zealand and save up funds and then continue. And maybe I'll walk across New Zealand and then <laughs> maybe I'll go, maybe I'll just walk across the entire world. <laughs> so it was funny. I remember one day I just got so excited while I'm saving up for my trip and I'm blogging. I just decided to make this article is like first Japan, then I'm going to walk across the entire world. You know, like I made this <laughs> bold declaration. I'm going to go across the entire world on foot. So yeah. 
you know, my momentum at this point mentally is just skyrocketing. It's like, I'm going to do all these amazing things and this is how I'm going to do it. You know, yeah. and I'm writing these things in my blog. So I decide that I'm also going to seek sponsorship. I'm going to attempt to seek some sort of sponsorship for this worldly of adventure. Yeah. And at the time, Canfields, have you ever heard of Canfields yeah, Sporting Goods here in Omaha? Yeah. It's a great place, you know, um, insert plug anyway. I highly recommend campers to go for it, to, to go there for their all their needs. But um, I went there for my needs as well yeah. to pick up gear and whatnot. And I decided to approach uh, the new owner at the time. Uh, his name is Scotty. Was, oh, so this is pretty recent then. This is back in 2014. Okay. Okay, so we're going, 2012 was the Navy 2014 was planning or 2013 was planning for my adventure 2014 was leaving okay so it was like towards the end of 2013 i decided to approach the new owner of canfield which is scott and i introduced myself tell him about my passion what i'm doing yeah about how i'm going to do this grand walk and at the time i'm um i'm do i was doing it for a charity as well called the walk from obesity a charity I research which helps against the fight, you know, of obesity in America, uh, inspiring people to go out lose weight through walks. Oh, nice! So I decided that that was going to be what I raise money for along this walk that I do. I thought it was appropriate, and I told Scott about my endeavor and whatnot, and he was like, "What can I do to help?" You know, like I'm starting, I'm taking over this company, and I want to show that we have a lot of um, commu- community um, support. Support, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I told him that I was seeking sponsorships and he was like, how about we pay for all your gear? Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. So it was literally like a Toys R Us run, you know, back in the 90s where you have a cart and you can just fill it up quickly. Fill it up, yeah. (laughs) That's how I felt, you know. I went went around a store getting all the gear that I needed for this grand endeavor. Before I knew it, I had a 50-pound backpack on my back full of all of this novice unnecessary gear that i thought i needed at the time but i didn't actually need but you know i'll get to that you know it's like it's always a learning endeavor with those things huge hard learning experience so but yeah ended up getting sponsored by them great people great great um store word got out that i was doing this grand adventure you know about my weight loss and everything and before i knew it um the Omaha World Herald wanted to do an article on me. So we they did an article and that ended up making the front page of their uh, living sec or their, yeah, their living section. And uh then the like the local news heard about it as well. Oh nice. It's like a domino effect, you know, like one thing leads to another leads to another. It well, it got pretty crazy because then the the local news stations heard about it and they wanted to do some interviews and so we did some interviews. And then after those were aired, Newsweek magazine learned about it out of New York. And this guy in New York calls me saying he wants to do an interview. I was like, wow, this is like crazy that this is happening. You know, we ended up doing a phone interview. I ended up getting published in Newsweek. Oh, awesome. And then Lance Armstrong saw my article (laughs) and he ends up sharing it, wishing me good luck. And it's just like, like, it's crazy. Like. One thing after the other, all the dominoes falling in place. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just from Ryan, my buddy, sparking this seed, you know, like, go to Japan. I'm going to go to Japan. And then, like, before (laughs) I know it, you know, Lance Armstrong's wishing me good luck in Japan, you know? Awesome. So, yeah, we, um, I set my date to leave on my grand 
Pokemon adventure, you know, <laughs> uh, to Japan and the world uh, for March 4th, the day after my 24th birthday of 2014. Oh, perfect, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I left. I left and I didn't return for two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. That is epic. Yeah. Uh, did you know any Japanese? Uh no. <laughs> so I took a I took a class at Metro. Yeah. And you know, that stuff it's like you learn it, but it doesn't really stick because you're always speaking English. Yeah, you don't have to use it. Yeah. So, you know, I knew some base very basic things. Yeah. Where's but, the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to learn that very quickly. I had to relearn that. <laughs> but it is pretty funny. Banyo. What a... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's toire wa doko desu ka? Oh my. <laughs> But um, it seems like a lot of syllables for where's the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Japanese is a very beautiful language, but it takes a lot of work to. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. It was funny though because uh, my Japanese teacher, who I had at Metro, ended up writing me like a big list of basic phrases that I might need. Yeah. And uh, my my second day walking across Japan from the southern tip, it was like a giant rainstorm. I put it in my pocket without really thinking about it, this paper list. Yeah. And I was trying to get out of the rainstorm and I was trying to find where the nearest hotel was at the time. And I go into this convenience store and none of them spoke a, a bit of English, you know? So I pull out, like, I'm, I'm like, all right, I need to tell, ask them where the hotel is. So I pull it out of my pocket and it's just like completely Ripping ruined, my... like a mess of a, I, I couldn't read anything on it anymore. And this is why we laminate things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, through hand, gestures and pictures i ended oh, up okay. conveying you know i need to get out of this rain but um <laughs> there wasn't a hotel at all i had to walk another 15 miles before i reached a hotel oh, so no way like probably one of the worst days of my life <laughs> <laughs> new foreign country and you're just second day walking second day walking what the hell am i doing here and you don't speak the language and you can't find where you're supposed to go and, yeah. yeah it's one of those hard lessons kind of we talked about and uh the 50 pounds of gear also creating gigantic blisters on my heels the size of golf balls so um, i take you didn't do any shakedown hikes before i did i did a three mile <laughs> shakedown hike because <laughs> i seem to think that three miles was going to prepare me for a, a small island like yeah. japan <laughs> <laughs> So, um, hard lessons. Yeah. Very hard lessons. Like I said, I developed gigantic blisters. I didn't train a lot or as much as I, I realized now I should have. Yeah. And, but ultimately I think that those hard lessons prepared me for the future expeditions that I had. And as I got further and further along Japan, I started making, um, adjustments to my situation that made my life a lot easier. Cutting down your equipment. To... Cutting down my equipment. I left a pot alongside of the road at one point, <laughs> just like a cooking pot. It was like you had a frustrated moment of just. I, ch I think ah. I chucked that pot actually. <laughs> like I chucked it down into a ravine because I was so pissed off. <sighs> Everyone's been there. Yeah, that pot's still probably down there somewhere. But uh... <laughs> is there an established route, or did you create your own route across? See, that's what I thought at first. I thought that there was going to be some sort of established route, but no, it's no, all. I was it's... along a highway the whole time, pretty much. Oh, you, did you ever get up in the forest or anything? Or I did, but it wasn't for as long as I had envisioned it to be. Yeah, I thought I was going to be walking along beaches and in forests the whole time, when in reality, I was walking along highways and roadways and 
you know, like, you know, there were a few places like where I would like, um, I would take a train out of the way to go do some trail hiking. Yeah. But then I would just divert back to the roads again at the end of the day because... Just to continue on your journey. Yeah, the roads were leading me to the northern tip of the North Island. It wasn't the trails that were doing that, so... How do they take to campers? Are they receptive of it? It's a new concept for them because Japan has always been very much a closed-off country. Yeah. So aside from places like Tokyo and Osaka, you don't have a lot of foreign influence. So when they see some white dude with a backpack coming down the street into like a small village, it's like them looking at a UFO for the first time or something what like that. What is this? What is this alien <laughs> doing, you know? So it was definitely a new concept. So when someone would pitch their tent, yeah. police didn't really know how to handle stuff like that. It's like it's not okay. necessarily illegal, but it's not. It's like, what do we do? Yeah. It's like, so, you know, there'd be a couple occasions where, you know, they'd knock on my tent, <laughs> I guess. And uh, like, hello, you know, just a crazy white dude in here. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like you explain the situation at the best you can, really. Yeah. Broken English, broken Japanese. They tend to, you can get away with a lot of stuff as a foreigner in Japan. You just pretend to be kind of that stupid foreigner that yeah, doesn't know any ignorance better ignorance on everything yeah. ignorance is bliss yeah whereas if you were a japanese I, I don't think you could get away with it as well they wouldn't accept that he's like come on come on dude yeah you know better <laughs> you're a japanese it's like yeah. these crazy white dudes they can get away with it but we know you're you're better than this <laughs> so uh yeah I, I did get away with it for the most part okay good yeah but uh yeah i ended up spending about five months walking about halfway through I went from the southern tip to Tokyo, which is about the halfway point, and I made a significant adjustment, actually. So I was carrying that all that gear on my back for so long. I decided since I was going to be sticking to highways and stuff to do as another person that I saw a a cross-country walker had done is he invested in a baby cart. So I bought a baby cart from Babies RS and I put my backpack on it, attached some bungee cords to the backpack so it would yeah. stay in place, and I pushed it the rest of the way versus having <laughs> it on my back the whole time. So I was more like like the straw hat baby cart pusher than the straw hat backpacker. <laughs> that, that is a great image. Do you have hopefully pictures of that? I do, yeah. Great. And I can send you some of those if you like. That would it's, be awesome. Um, it was quite a sight being yeah. alongside. I can't imagine what the Japanese people were thinking as a white, big white dude pushing yeah. a baby cart with a backpack on it, having a one piece flag. So like a one piece, the show I was talking about, yeah. it's a Japanese show <clears throat> and all of the Japanese know about the show. It's like one of the most popular shows. Yeah, it's huge. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And the main protagonists are pirates, you know, Luffy and his crew going on these adventures and they have a, a flag like the, the straw hat flag. Yeah. And I was carrying one. I attached it to my, my, my baby cart. So the flag <laughs> was waving as I'm going down this highway, you know, like heading for the northern tip with a baby cart and a one piece flag. It's like, what the heck is this dude doing? Yeah, it was a very interesting experience, but it definitely made my life a lot easier doing that rather than carrying a 50-pound pack on highways for days on end. What were you averaging for miles then? Was it pretty... It's pretty small to start, yeah. um, being a new new to the whole concept of through hiking. I want to say that the first half of the trip, I was averaging about 20 kilometers a day, which ends up equating to about 14 miles a day, 13 yeah. to 14 miles a day. 
Um, and at, towards the latter part, I was doing maybe about 30 kilometers a day, which ends up being about 21 oh, wow. miles, 22 yeah, that's miles. That's quite a bit. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten more and more crazy. Is it? That's been, that was my starter trip. Like I, it's, it's fascinating to see like your evolution. If you're like really passionate about something kind of like with Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. My hiking was my new Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, I started out rusty and terrible at it and made a lot of mistakes, but started learning and learning and learning. And so five months in Japan, ended up covering more than 2000 miles. Wow. Feet were worn out, learned a lot of hard mistakes, um, grew from them and headed for New Zealand. And that was going to be my next place. So immediately afterwards, Japan, you've just walked the whole thing. Yep. I spent a month in Okinawa after that, after okay. walking. So you took a little vacation. Yes. I relaxed in Okinawa along the beach, became a beach bum for a month. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> Gave me some rejuvenation. And then it was off to New Zealand. Off to New Zealand, the land of Middle Earth. Yeah. And that was the title of my next adventure, A Journey Across Middle Earth. <laughs> it was there that I um, got a job for a year. I worked in Queenstown, a place in the South Island, really beautiful mountain town. Uh, And I worked there uh, doing some jobs, uh, working at a casino, because I had worked at a casino prior here in Omaha in Council Bluffs at the Horseshoe. So they took me on right away over there, saved up money for a year and uh, started planning my big adventure. Now, Japan and New Zealand are like night and day. Yeah completely different oh yeah whereas japan has 125 million people in it new zealand has four and a half million people in it yeah and i wasn't going to be hitting towns or cities nearly as frequently and this trail is actually a trail that i was going to be on yeah i've heard of this one it's it, it amazing oh yeah yeah so this is a through hike that's fairly new compared to the appalachian trail the pct or the cdt yeah. which are other through hikes in america that are a lot more established, but um, the Te Araroa Trail goes from the northern tip of the North Island to the southern tip of the South Island, and it goes. It's it it connects already existing trails yeah. all the way down. So, ended up training for that in Queenstown, and a year later, I ended up leaving. Um, flew back to the North Island from Queenstown, and I started my adventure across New Zealand. So. You've already been there for a year. How did that work with visas and whatnot? So my working holiday visa lasted a year. Yeah. And I worked for that time. After that, I had to leave the country. Yeah. Um, and then come back with a visitor's visa. Okay. So I did um, I did end up coming back to America for like uh, two weeks. Spent two weeks here just seeing my family again. And yeah. then I flew back to New Zealand again. Oh, like instantly? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was just like that was more of a, my vacation at this, because at this point, I've, I've been traveling and away for two years now. Yeah. I like, uh, that's my life. Going back to America isn't my life. Going back to America is a vacation yeah. for my life. Wow. It's just like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird switching back and forth, which I'm going to get to as well. But like, um, yeah, so Kate went back uh, to New Zealand and then I was on a visitor visa for the next six months. And started my walk. Yeah. Back, had our coffee. 
feel good feel good about it snowstorm going on outside (laughs) unexpected snowstorm yeah i think i might have to walk home (laughs) be good for you (laughs) yeah good training for what's coming so so we left off and you were just about to start your epic new zealand hike yes the te araroa you gotta you gotta roll the r's i cannot roll an r for ra I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, you know, which is funny because both Japan and New Zealanders roll their R's. It's like uh, for the New Zealanders, the Moris, which are the indigenous New Zealanders before the English came. Yeah. The Moris, uh, yeah, they roll their R's and it just kind of caught on. And now it's stuck. Mori Araroa. You know, it sounds yeah. kind of intimidating, doesn't it? Yeah. Like a tribe. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a master of rolling the <laughs> R's. My name is Ryan, not Ryan. <laughs> Sometimes they call me Lion, too, in Japan. They mix up the L's with their R's. It's yeah. Lion. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That sounds awesome, actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Te Araroa Trail. It's yeah. um about 1900, 1,900 kilometers. Yeah. No. No, that's not right. I'm sorry. 1,900 miles. I'm confusing my miles and kilometers again. Yeah. 1,900 miles across the North and the South Island. And that was going to be my next big adventure. Now, like I said, with Japan, it was very much uh, going from city to city to city. New Zealand, I wasn't going to have that luxury. So no. I had to prepare accordingly. And when I was in Japan, I had 50 pounds of gear that I was lugging around. And there was going to be no highway that I could push a baby cart on for New Zealand. <laughs> I was going to be in the jungle, you know, yeah. like not the jungle, the rainforest and whatnot. And I was going to be um, hiking the whole time. So I had to make the proper adjustment for that. And so what I did was I started looking into backpackers that were professional what they did people like andrew skirka i don't know if you've ever heard of him yeah yeah the lightweight guy ultra lightweight Mm -hmm. oh yeah i he became my mentor for this i started looking at all of his different gear lists what he brought how to save weight and all that cutting tags off of shirts and i don't know if i cut any of my tags off my shirts but cut the handle off your toothbrush i almost did that then i (laughs) realized how ridiculous that was But uh, it does add up to say to say that it does add up. Yeah, you can save weight if you uh, consider the small things. But so I ended up doing a lot of gear research for this trip. Scott still had me for the sponsorship, which was great. Oh, awesome! So all the new gear I needed, he ended up providing for me, and I ended up going from a fifty-pound backpack full of all kinds of useless crap to a twelve-pound backpack. Twelve-pound base weight. Twelve-pound wow. base weight with the essentials. So. Um, with food and water and stuff for like throughout the bigger hikes, um, it ended up being eh, maybe around like 20 pounds, something like that, but a considerable less amount of weight. You didn't have to carry a lot of water then or anything. No, 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 that was just no dry stretches or, you know, it's funny you say that because like the first three days was the driest part of the whole trip. Yeah. Because so when you start at Kebrianga up in the Northern tip of the Northland of New Zealand, you start on this place called the 90 mile beach. Yeah. And while it sounds like something that you would not have to worry about would be water. It's actually like the biggest desert out of the whole trip (laughs) because, you know, obviously you can't drink the ocean water. Um, and a lot that year, 
most of the streams had dried up that were leading into the ocean. That's just bad timing. Yeah, it was bad timing. But and you know it's funny too because starting off on that trip down the ninety mile beach, you have to look for. You're walking on a beach for effectively four days. Yeah. And you have to learn how to walk on a beach because you can't just walk on a beach. If you walk on a beach, you'll be, it's like walking in water or something like that. For every step you make, you're really making like half a step because the sand pushes you back. You yeah. know, it just takes a lot more effort to move forward. So you have to start looking at the tide. You have to start looking at where the tide was where it isn't now and where you're going to find wet sand because wet sand is essentially going to be your friend because that's going to be the solid stuff that isn't going to push you back harder and more compact Harder, yeah mm-hmm. exactly so always looking for the wet sand to walk on and always looking for water those were the two things that i was looking for when i was walking along this endless expanse of beach for four days yeah so sand in everything sand in everything you hit it right on the head man um sand in my shorts sand in my underpants sand in my socks sand in my shoes sand in my uh instant noodles <laughs> <laughs> sand in my potato chips you wanted that texture right yeah oh yeah totally the gritty texture yeah yeah i mean you're you have an extra crunch you know with with the potato chip i can imagine that'd be pretty abrasive on the feet though that's where i would probably have the most concerns yeah yeah definitely but with this trip it was a little bit better because whereas japan i learned lessons the hard way yeah not breaking in my shoes not doing hikes beforehand i trained a year in queenstown and queenstown there's trails all kinds of trails everywhere around queenstown so i had a lot more of my trail legs at that point um than I did when I first started in Japan. So, you know, whereas in Japan, I was starting out by maybe doing like 12 mile walks a day. Yeah. In New Zealand, I was starting out, I could I could do those like 25 to 30 kilometer walks a day and be just fine. And something like that at the end of my Japan trip would be really wearing me out. Whereas with New Zealand, I wasn't being too worn out from doing a 25 to 30 kilometer walk. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Ended up uh, going down this beach for two days. On the second day, the end of the second day, I reached this site. You know, they have a, there's like a couple campsites that you can go to along this, uh, this endless expanse of beach in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And one of them ended up being this really great, uh, kind of like an oasis, you know, you don't believe it's there, but there's like a running water and, um, there's like these little huts that you can stay in and they charge you like $5, but you can stay at this place and, you know, they have some food and like hot water and, and like Wi-Fi even. It was crazy. Yeah. So, um. I end up resting up there after a long couple of days in the sand and suddenly I'm looking out and in the distance I see another hiker coming down <laughs> and this hiker little did I know at the time would end up becoming one of my closest friends and is now one of my expedition partners. Oh, awesome. And this hiker's name is Stein and Stein is from Norway <laughs> and Stein has an epic Norwegian beard and he's a 38-year-old Norwegian man who I befriended right away when we met on this long, expansive beach. Yeah. Uh, he came and ended up camping that night. We had some good talks, and he was doing the Teotihuacan Trail as well. So I was like, you know what, Stein? Let's just continue on together. Stein is a man. Like Stein is someone that I had always like. Uh, as we continued on, I would want to become. <laughs> Stein can go for like 
60, you know, 50, 60 kilometers without stopping. This man is a machine. Just goes and oh, goes. Yeah. You know, wow. you know, he's like, a, like I'm the apprentice and he's the master yeah. is the best way to compare it. But uh, yeah, we ended up hiking together for uh, the whole trip pretty much. There were some times where we got separated, but for the most part, we were together and um, we did New Zealand. We did Te Araroa together. And now I consider him like one of my closest brothers. So it's great. It's great. Like the bonds that you make when uh, you're roughing it in the wild, you learn about each other's insecurities. You learn about each other's weaknesses and um, someone who you haven't known for a very long period of time can become closer to you than some of your dearest family and friends that have been with you your whole life just because you go through such trials and tribulations together such a unique experience that no one really shares with you yeah exactly you know when i came back to america the few times that i have it's been so hard to relate to anyone else yeah no one gets it no one gets it yeah and i don't necessarily get them anymore either yeah it's like um my viewpoint on living life in omaha is different and their viewpoint on how i live my life is different so it's just really hard to to compare and with Stein, I can call him up and it's just like we're back on the trail again, you know? Yeah, like old war buddies. It is, yeah. Kind of like that, yeah. So back to the trail, were they pretty sticklers about campsites and stuff? Or was it pretty... Oh, no. That's no. what's great. Like, whereas Japan, they kind of really don't know what to do with the situation. Yeah. They're like, uh, you know, New Zealand, they have their, their shit down, you know? Um, it's actually really cool because they have backcountry huts yeah. all throughout New Zealand, hundreds of them. Oh, really? Oh, hmm. yeah. I think... Uh, I think the number is 806 huts yeah. all throughout New Zealand. Are they lean-to style or are they open? They're open. Okay, so that's just it. You can get this uh, backcountry hut pass. Yeah. Best value. Definitely recommend it if you're in New Zealand. It's 100 New Zealand dollars, which is like 80 US dollars. Yeah. And you can stay in any of the backcountry huts for up to a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Call one of them home. <laughs> the huts did become your home really yeah. i mean when i think about new zealand and hiking i think about like my home was if i was in town i was staying at a hostel and if i was not in town i was in a hut or i was pitching my tent back to the land of the hobbits the lands of the hobbits yeah, yeah. did i mention that uh while i was over there i got the ring of power i found it it was oh. at a souvenir shop in hobbiton yeah, did you buy one? Yeah, the, not not the, one. I bought the, the one. The yeah. one ring. Yeah. yeah, I bought it. Because I figure, you know, it's still there. Frodo messed up on his mission, so I better... So you're going to continue it? I better destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> and believe it or not, I actually did. You yeah. found a volcano? No, no. I went to Mordor. Like, I went to Mount Doom. It's called uh, Mount Narahoe. Uh, so oh, really? It's the volcano that they used in the film to as mount doom oh that's awesome and it's in the north island and i climbed it and i threw the ring into the volcano i have a video you can can show people it's it's awesome that is awesome did you get to visit the little hobbit town fake thing that they made yep yep. is it pretty cool or it's pretty awesome gorgeous man yeah but uh yeah like i did all kinds of crazy things like in new zealand on the hike you know not just uh not just exploring like the trails but also um exploring a lot of the towns cuz the towns are different than the t- like towns here yeah it's um it's kind of like a europeany slash 
Australasia. Like, I don't know. It's tough to explain. Where each town has its own kind of feeling and atmosphere and they're vastly different or is it? No, they all have the same sort of like atmosphere. Okay. It's like the towns, but it's not like, um, you know, like whereas small towns in America have like main street, first street, second street, you know, like, uh, it's not like that. Like, it's like, um, there's no, it's like more of like European style versus, um, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe it. It's hard to describe. Yeah. Yeah. Just very small towny go into like coffee shops. Like when, whenever me and Stein would go into one of these small towns, we would, look like each town would have we'd have prerequisites we'd have expectations like (laughs) we'd look at each other is there coffee and then is there beer there better be beer and then is there a hostel does that hostel have (laughs) wi-fi those are like our our three expectations for a town no food oh yeah like yeah i guess beer would just be the main priority especially stein since he's norwegian you know yeah like lives on the stuff almost. yeah i was like more the one like all right there needs to be a hostel for a warm bed and he's yeah. like yeah but there needs to be beer <laughs> like we have beer first hostel second yeah and i'm more of like hostel first beer second yeah but we had we had the the general consensus that those were kind of our three main goals yeah so but yeah, just the the towns and whatnot were just really amazing. We met a lot of really nice people. New Zealand has some of the lowest crime, so there's nothing to worry about in crime. And just everyone is just like so helpful and kind. I was actually in the New Zealand World Herald, which is in their their main newspaper. Yeah. Just because they're always looking for crazy stories, you know, and stuff about hiking, and they're very they're very backpacking like. Um, friendly friendly yeah yeah they are very inviting people i hear there's a whole culture around it in new zealand that it's very supported and oh yeah it's a big draw for them it is backpacking in general uh with the working holiday visa you know you get people from all over you get people from france germany korea south africa i mean argentina chile brazil canada honestly the u.s was like a minority there i didn't come run into too many americans and we don't travel too far out outside of the United States. At least we're not known for it. We're definitely not known we're for kind it. Of very, we've got such a big country here, it's why leave? <laughs> oh, I hate that viewpoint. I know, I know, <laughs> but a lot of people have it. And... Yeah, and it's too bad because there's just so many beautiful areas in the world. And, you know, when someone says that, you know, oh, well, there's everything here. Like, no, there's not everything there. If you want to see blue lava, go to Indonesia. If you want to see the most beautiful reef in the world, go to Australia. You know, like, you don't have everything here. No, we don't. I mean, you could at least use a little bit of culture shock. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, yeah, it's just, it's too bad. I ran into, like, Germans. Germans love to travel. Oh, yeah. So many Germans I met. I just pulled a Donald Trump there. <laughs> so many Germans I met. I Huge. met a lot of Germans. <laughs> oh, I hate it. <laughs> Giant Germans. Huge Germans. <laughs> I met the best Germans. <laughs> <laughs> the best. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, big backpacking country. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed it for that reason. Now, I should say that... Um, we spent two months in the North Island hiking the North Island, and then we spent two months hiking the South Island. And the North Island and the South Island are like apples to oranges. North Island's really green, yeah, lush, kind of like Hobbiton, you know, you'd see, like the rolling green hills. Yeah. Versus the South Island is like Gondor. You know, you have those 
big epic mountains and, and stuff. The cliffs. Yeah, and the, the cliffs. And yeah, it's uh, really epic traversing the mountains of the South Island, you know. Yeah. So ended up spending about two another two months doing the South Island with Stein and an, an American girl, actually. We met an American girl along the way and we hiked with her. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. After, like, by that point, when I was in the South Island, my trail legs were just, like, kind of how I mentioned that growing and growing and growing. We were hitting, I mean, we were hitting 40 to 50 kilometers a day yeah. at that point. You oh, know? wow. It went from doing 20 kilometers a day at the start of Japan to doing, you know, 40 is no big deal. 50 is a longer day, but it's still manageable. And, uh, yeah, and that's 30, 30 to 40 kilometers is, like, uh, I would say, like, uh, or I'm sorry, 40 to 50 kilometers is like 32 miles to all the way up to, you know, 40. That's almost breakneck speed at hiking. I mean, yeah, I feel like you would miss stuff at that speed. Uh, So, you know, like running, you know, runners get like, you've ever heard of runners high? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like really that with trails that. after a while. Yeah. You know, you're just so used to jumping over things and like going like, um, like, tr- you're not even trail running. You're like trail gliding. It's yeah. like you're flying over a trail. Like um, you're not looking for the projectiles anymore that are in your, not projectiles. Like you're not looking for the obstacles that are in your way. You're just kind of in that instance, dodging them. It's, it's autopilot like almost. It's like you're a ninja or something yeah. like that. It's auto, Yeah, it's autopilot. And you can just go at such a fast pace. And it, it was almost like I was becoming some sort of wild man, you know? Yeah. Like you'd see like running through the forest, you know, like he knows what he's doing or something. It's like I'd gotten to that point. And in terms of taking it in, I would say that I still was taking it in. Yeah. I, I had just gotten so used to going at a faster pace now um, versus like if I was just like beginning or like um, didn't go into the mountains that frequently, yeah, you know, I would tell myself I got to take this in, you know, you had told me about your past trip, you know, where you wanted to really immerse yourself and take it in by that point of me hiking for, you know, all these years now, you're like, I got this. It was taken in <laughs> and I, I can take it in while doing these big hikes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, by that point, you know, I'd grown quite a bit and me and Stein had grown really close and, you know, like, he's like, like I said, he's like a brother to me and, um, we ended up getting to the Southern tip of New Zealand, which is bluff. It's called bluff, really windy place. And, um, after four months, 119 days, we made it. Yeah. And along with the American girl as well. And, uh. Yeah, we, uh, me and Stein were looking out at the ocean, and you know, it's 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 something, you know, when after going on such a long journey with someone and experiencing it, it feels like a lifetime. Yeah, and you just, you know, at the journey's end, it's kind of like you know Frodo and Sam, you know, ending their journey. It's like, well, where do we go from here? You the know, bittersweet ending. The... It was, it was. It's like we just kind of looked at each other as we looked out into the ocean, the Southern Ocean, and we were just like, what now? You know. And it was, I think it was me that said it. I'm pretty sure it was me that said it. Just like half as a joke. Actually, I think at the time it was just all as a joke. <laughs> but it was like, you know, we said, what's next? And I'm like, looking out at the Southern Ocean. Well, Antarctica's somewhere down there. Let's walk across Antarctica. Let's go to the South Pole. <laughs> I know we just kind of, we just kind of laughed. And then we got back to our hostel. And I was like, so Stein, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, is it what about, about the South Pole thing? You know, is this something like this possible? And he just kind of looks and he's thinking for a while, and he's like, 
yeah, yeah, I think it's possible. You'd have to, you know, and he started listing like the variables and stuff. He was being like really realistic about it. And I was like, okay. So, you know, we're at this point where we just had this gigantic adventure and we're still lusting for adventure, you know? Yeah. And we're like comrades at this just point. Just more. Exactly. So I remember like the next day I ended up calling my dad, you know, uh, on Facebook uh, Messenger. Yeah. And he answers... I was like, oh, yeah, finished your journey and whatnot. I was like, yeah. Dad, I'm going to go to the South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to walk to the South Pole. And the first, uh, his first response was, why? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, because it's there. Because, you know, like it's the next grand adventure, you know. And, you know, he thought I was joking. He thought I was so full of shit at that point. He was like, no, yeah. you're not going to the South Pole. Stop, Ryan, you know. And I'm like, no, no, I think I am, you know, and me and Stein were, you know, kept talking about it. And that is the next big adventure that we're kind of playing with that, that is in the works right now. The South Pole? The South Pole. Walking to the South Pole from have, the edge of Antarctica. Oh, have you looked into the, they do a big race every year. They do. Yeah. They do like a, an ultra marathon yeah. or like something like that. Yeah. And that, uh, and you'd have the support that way and stuff like that. Have you looked into doing that? Not the no, not the ultra marathon. We we were planning on doing an expedition which would take about two months. Okay, and it would be on cross country skis. Whereas, like, um, with those big races and stuff, there um they have teams and stuff that help them out like along the way and like like have supplies and you know like all these different things ready to go. Yeah, and like to keep warm and stuff, they have like uh, vehicles and stuff they can enter. This wouldn't be that. This would be us out on our own in the wild of the South Pole, camping and doing all those different things um, and just surviving out on our own. Oh, that is rough. It is, um, which is why we're very much approaching this from a very realistic standpoint, having no experience with polar expeditions. Um, and this is, this is kind of cool because it ties in with Japan. Whereas I met, okay, so I met, I met Stein in... New Zealand. Yeah. I met another guy when I was in Japan, which I forgot to mention. His name is Mike Reed. And Mike Reed is an American who I stayed with while I was in Japan. He was an English teacher at the time. Yeah. Big adventure. Loves doing adventures. Loves hosting people. I met him through couch surfing and he decided to host me oh, while awesome. I was there because he really liked what I was doing. At the time, he was preparing for his own expedition to cross from Japan to Korea on a kayak across the ocean. <laughs> Three-day kayaking adventure across the ocean. That's awesome. And he did it. Oh, yeah. He did it while I was backpacking across uh, New Zealand, which was amazing. And um, so Mike ended up going to Iceland as well during this time when I was in I when I was in New Zealand, and he ended up meeting his now wife. Oh well, in no way! Iceland. He married an Icelandic woman just recently. It was there that he got the idea to do a crossing of Iceland in the winter, yeah. a winter crossing of Iceland on skis. And when I called him up after I decided that I was going to do an expedition across Antarctica because I thought he might be interested in something like that, I had no idea that he was planning his own expedition and he was looking to gather a team for Iceland at the time. So when I called him up, he told me about his idea as well. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, like talk about parallels, you know? So I started thinking, I was like, well, this would be perfect situation for me to train for Antarctica because I have no experience on cross-country skis in cold weather, any of yeah. that, no experience. So why not start training for the smaller expedition? You know, Iceland would take anywhere from 10 to 14 days to cross and it would be on skis and it would give 
you an idea of what it's going to be like to do an Antarctic crossing. To see if you even want to do something like that. Yeah, definitely. And it would also get my foot in the door with sponsorships as well. Yeah. You know, having that experience uh, doing these things. Yeah. And, you know, so it shows that I know what I'm doing. Obviously, I don't yet, but I'm You'll working get there, towards yeah. that. Yeah. So um, it was funny because I met Mike in Japan. I met Stein in New Zealand. And those two countries that I crossed are now, those two are members of my expedition team which we are planning to cross Iceland with. That's amazing. It's crazy how things work out, doesn't it? Yeah, it it all falls together. It does. And um, Mike's friend, Trim, who I met in Iceland, we did a meeting in Iceland just uh, three months ago in fall. I met Trim. He's also going to be part of the expedition team. He's a Norwegian. So I met him, great guy. You know, he's done uh, a lot of cold weather uh, adventures as well. Yeah. So yeah, he's going to be a part of our expedition team. And we ended up meeting in Iceland and meeting up with a glacier guide who crossed Iceland back in 99 in the winter. Because crossing Iceland in the winter is freaking dangerous. Like, yeah. I don't know if you like know a lot about Iceland, but all the towns and cities are along the coast. Yeah, there's nothing. And then you have the highlands in the middle and there's nothing there. Yeah. Like it's all wind. It's empty. And snow. Yeah, it's empty. Nothing. How how cold have you slept then? Have you been outside sleeping in <laughs> negative weather yet? See, that that's kind of what my training is for Nebraska right now. Yeah. Um, whereas I can't do too much cross-country skiing at this point. Um, I'm doing my best to expose myself to extreme cold weather. And it's been terrible. It has it, no. I mean, it's, it's been, been terrible in the regard. It's been that, beautiful. That's here. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I haven't had opportunities. It was what 50, 60 degrees last Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been a very mild winter, so yeah. it hasn't helped my cause at all. But uh, when it does snow, I'm outside. Yeah. When it is negative five degrees, I'm outside. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so just testing gears, testing things, getting used to cold weather climate, getting used to walking long stretches in cold weather climate is ultimately what I'm focusing on right now for my training. So doing that and then expedition research, like we already have our route and stuff planned and we have an idea of our gear. Now it's just like uh, getting this into a presentation format to start seeking sponsorships and then heading out to either, we're going to do some training in Colorado for cross-country skiing and we're going to do some, possibly some training in Norway for cross-country skiing. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And um, it's really cool because Anar um, is the guy who crossed back in 99. Um, he trained us on the glacier when we were in Iceland three months ago. We went out on the glacier, um, Vatnajökull, which is the second largest glacier in Europe. And we did some, some hiking on Vatnajökull and he is teaching us like crevice survival, how to build snow caves. He's going to be teaching us all these things later on this year. So are you gonna have to carry crampons as well? Yes, yeah, because oh, wow. um, part of our route is crossing Vatnajökull Glacier. Oh, okay, yeah. So we're going to start in the north of Iceland, cross the highlands, and then end up on the glacier. And it's going to take, it's about a three-day cl- uh, crossing on the glacier itself. Are you going to have to have all the ice climbing gear, too, to get around? Or? We're going to have to have crampons and an ice axe. Yeah. But aside from that, like, we're climbing not going to be Climbing ropes doing, and all no, that. because we're going to be carrying sleds and stuff. So, oh, okay. Yeah, we can't, we can't do technical climbing or anything like that. Yeah. So... I didn't know how bad it is. I'm picturing the ones I've seen and they look pretty gnarly sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yep. So 
it's um but uh yeah like the how i'm approaching this is you know i'm training for iceland it's all about dissecting this in baby steps the same way i've been able to do my journeys across japan new zealand Yu-Gi-Oh, weight loss all those different things have all been done just through dissection and baby steps so if i want to go to antarctica i need to focus on iceland and if i want to go to iceland i need to focus on training myself for cold weather and that means going outside tonight and walking in the snow yeah so it's just like building on those baby steps which are slowly going to get me to my ultimate end destination which is the south pole yeah so so when's the planned start date of the expedition or do you have it's still pending it is march of 2018 so about a year from now is when we're going to cross iceland Mm -hmm. now once i accomplish iceland um if all that goes according to plan i'm gonna head to greenland and i'm gonna do a crossing of greenland which is a bit longer so like iceland would be about 10 to 14 days greenland would be about 21 to 25 days um and that would just be crossing the greenland ice cap and that would be on skis as well oh nice so i figure that if i have those two expeditions under my belt i will be prepared for antarctica yeah for sure so that's what i'm looking at for the the next grand adventure only 10 days to cross iceland so yeah actually iceland's pretty small um and if i were to do it during the summertime yeah it would take about a week oh really yeah yeah especially at my pace yeah um i'm to the point now where i can do about 40 miles a day yeah so um i I believe iceland is about 230 kilometers across from north to south oh wow so it ends up only being about um what 170 miles or something like that yeah so yeah definitely manageable in a week's time oh wow yeah Yeah. you got faith in the rest of your team then and they're all really experienced and yeah that was the whole purpose of uh, us meeting three months ago yeah was to kind of get a feel for each other not just meet up with our expedition guide uh anar but uh also just kind of see how how we each got along yeah yeah and and it ended up being really positive like we got along really well are you going to be sharing one big tent for all of you and (laughs) oh yeah we got one of those big polar expedition tents yeah like two thousand dollar tent yeah but uh that's pretty warm oh yeah that sucker will keep you warm that's for sure (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah so there's uh but yeah there's a there's a lot to plan for we're gonna do some more training later on this uh this year but uh yeah just uh Again, going back to that whole thing with Yu-Gi-Oh, like the evolution of my traveling has just like gone crazy off the Such wall. Such an interesting path to take and the seed from Yu-Gi-Oh and that germinating into traveling all over the world. and To an expedition. And it's going to take you probably much crazier places, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. But, uh, you know, ultimately, if anything, what I want people to get from this is, you know, like go out there like take that take take initiative take action because like people have dreams right people like everyone has a dream to do something yeah you know and a lot of times that person will let that dream kind of wander inside their head you know for so long and there will always be a reason not to start it there's always going to be a reason not to do something oh yeah you look for a reason not to travel or whatever you're going to find reasons not to do it it's just doing it anyway taking that action and that's ultimately what's going to lead you to go to exotic places such as iceland or south pole the Yu-Gi-Oh world championships is just like consistent action you have to take consistent action if you want to reach any goal yeah at least take the first step take the first step and then i challenge you to have the patience and the perseverance to continue taking steps even if you can't necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel yet 
because eventually you're going to get to another place and then you're going to be able to see down from that place to another place. And then before you know it, you're going to be in some far off land, you know, doing something that some you crazy never thing, thought yeah. you'd be able to do. Yeah. That's where I'm at now. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, it was nice talking to you. Yeah. Thank I, you for joining me today. Uh, this is this has been a great time. Uh, I've definitely gained some inspiration from uh, your podcast skills as well. So <laughs> it's been good. So how can people find you and how can people support your further expeditions? Yeah, right. So um, just a quick plug. I, uh, I have a Facebook page called The Straw Hat Backpacker. So you can find me there. Um, go ahead and shoot me a like. And I also have a YouTube channel, again, The Straw Hat Backpacker. You can find me on YouTube. I'll be doing videos of my expedition as I do that. I'm also going to be taking a one of my good friends who's never traveled outside of Nebraska to Europe this April. We're going to be doing this crazy backpacking Europe on a train thing for three months. Yeah. And uh, I'll be on YouTube for that. So follow me on that. Gain some inspiration to, to travel and uh, see the world yourself. So, awesome. Yeah. And uh, I also forgot to mention, I do have a podcast that's about to come out. Um, hopefully you'll leave a link, but it's called uh, The R- the Ride with uh, Ryan and Eddie. Oh, and it's just uh, on self-development and uh, bettering your life and uh, becoming the strongest you that you can. Awesome. So Thank you very much. Yeah. No, I appreciate being on today. And uh, hopefully I'll give you a follow-up after I... Uh, I'm either going to become an icicle or I'll give you a follow-up. <laughs> so it's one or the other. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Global Mike Reed is uh, my, my buddy of mine that's going to be doing the expedition as well. He's yeah. on Facebook as well. You can shoot him a follow. And uh, Trim, T-R-Y-M, uh, photography, Trim Photography. Uh, my other expedition partner, Trim, has a photography page on Facebook. Considered one of the best photographers in Norway. Give that a give that a like. And uh, <laughs> I won't plug. Stein's an amazing Norwegian. That's what I have to say about Stein. Awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah. No worries.